Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here today, is it not? I tell you what, even if, which happens often here, even if it was cloudy and we didn't see the mountains or the sun, which, which happens often here, today is a great day. We get to gather together, worship the Lord Almighty, dig in His Word, and what a glorious day, is it not? So good to be here, and it's a privilege to share from the Word this morning. In fact, last night I went to bed a little after a minute. I, I woke at 4.30 this morning going, oh, we get to dig in today. I was so excited, but I was like, i got to sleep a little bit more. So I'm excited this morning to dig into the Word of God. We are going through a series called This We Believe. What do we believe as a church? And for the past couple of weeks we've been talking about this book right here. This is our delight. This wonderful Word of God. And it's been so good to do that. We're going to move now to the next part of our series. But what I want to do is I want to ask a series of questions. You know I ask questions sometimes before I preach. I'd like to ask questions. And this one, especially since some of the kids are here. Spencer, are you here? Okay, good. I want everybody to grab their Bibles, okay, and just get ready. And uh, we're gonna, I'm going to ask five questions. But the first question it's going to be really easy for you. In fact, I'm going to have the kids answer it. Because some of you adults, you may not get it, okay? So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to ask you a question. You guys, your kids ready? Here it is. Out of all the books in the history of time, that's a lot of books. Can you imagine? Does anybody know who created the printing press? Anybody? I have to turn to the adults, yeah? Gutenberg, Gutenberg yes. John Gutenberg did the printing press, Okay. Some of you are like, oh, I do remember. Okay, anyways, so from the 1500s until now, all the books ever published in the history of time, or even before that, all the books ever written, and just so you know, I love books. Some of you that helped me moved in, you realize I have a lot of books. I remember doing, we were unloading the vehicle, I remember handing boxes of books. I remember Josh going, more books? What is going on here? But as a pastor, I have over 2,000 books because I love books. They're my tools. But listen, kids, out of all the books ever published, ever printed, ever written in the history of time, here it is. Think about what is the greatest book ever in the history of time. Some of you think. Some of you, see, look at some of your parents are going, oh, I don't know. Now, this is an easy answer. Spencer, what would you say is the greatest book ever in the history of What is it? The Bible. Yes. All right. Good job. This is, seriously, the greatest book in the history of time. And it's been so good for the past couple weeks talking about the Word of God. Even though we're moving a little bit, not away from the Word of God, we're moving to a different topic, we'll always be in this book. It's the greatest book, it's the most loved book in the history of time, correct? But it's also the most hated book. People hate this book because it changes lives. It's not just a book, for the Word of God is living, active. It's so good. You got the first question right. So does everyone have a Bible? In fact, if you don't, I've got a stack of Bibles over there, some Bibles. I want everyone to have a Bible, okay? If you don't have a Bible, Kaylin, can you help go get a couple Bibles? Raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. It's okay. If you forgot your Bible, my, it's, it's fine. Has everyone got a Bible? Okay, good. So grab your Bible, get ready. Now here's the next question. Out of the greatest book ever written in the history of time, out of the greatest book, what would you say is the greatest testament? Now open your Bibles. You got here in the beginning, you got, there's two testaments. There's the old and the new. Okay, you see that? What would you say? Now, some of you are going to laugh because you're like, Pastor Cody, the first time you were here as a pastor, you preached and you talked about how every part of this book is your favorite. And every time I say it, it's true. I'm an evangelical, so this page is my favorite, this page is my favorite, all this. So you can't really say, well, that's my favorite testament, because they're both. You need both, right? But let's just say, if you had to choose one, if you're on a desert island all by yourself, which testament would you say, out of the greatest book, is the greatest? The new? Someone else had a hand? The new... Okay, listen. In many ways, of course. You know what? Pastor Cody would love a Bible where it's all red. 
all red words because every word is the word of God. So I'm not saying one is greater, but just play with me, okay? But in many ways, the Old Testament is all about this. God saying this, you will be my people, I will be your God. I'm making this covenant with you, this vow with you. But the problem is, not God, it was the people. They failed, they kept messing up, God did not change, they kept changing, they kept trying to change the stipulation, all this stuff. And the Old Testament is all pointing to the New Testament saying, especially in Jeremiah, we see in the prophets saying, I'm going to make a promise to you, a new covenant. So in many ways, the old is pointing to laying the foundation for the new, right? So everyone turn to your beginning of your Bible. Because some of you may not have all the books of the Bible memorized. Does anybody have all the books of the Bible memorized? Okay, their kid's hand went up first. All right, adults. Man. Okay, out of the 66 books here, we got these right here. Take a look here. Out of the New Testament, so listen with me. Out of the greatest book ever written in the history of time, out of the greatest testament ever written in the history of time, we get to hold this right now. What would you say, now just, you can scratch your head if you want to, what would you say out of the greatest book, out of the greatest testament, what's the greatest book in the history of time? Now just take a look there. You can look at the beginning, you know, look, at, look there. Matthew, if you don't have it memorized, Matthew made a mark in the sand. He looked up, saw John carrying axe on his shoulder. That's the way I used to memorize as a kid. And a little story there through the whole... Now some of you, some of you might think, well, they got the Gospels. I mean, those four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all talk about what the, New Te- the Old Testament's pointing to, right? I mean, you can't say one of those. Well, you got the book of Acts, or you got, you got so many things. Anybody want to say Revelation? Okay, no one's... Well, well, why not? That's our hope, right? We'll, we'll get into that later, another Sunday, okay? Listen to this. This is what theologians for centuries have said. On the ring, my, here's my ring. On the ring of the Bible, this book is the diamond. I don't have a diamond on here. I have to grab my wife's hand. What book would you say is the diamond? Because they're all important. Ed, what would I say? Romans. Romans. Listen, if you would go back where I am in Wisconsin, all my students, if I would say, what's my favorite book? They would just go, Romans. They kind of roll their eyes. Romans, 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 Romans. Romans is it. In fact, here up on the screen, this is what Martin Luther said this. I'm going to read this to you. Martin Luther said this about Romans. This epistle, if it's up, okay. This epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and is truly the purest gospel. It is not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart. The whole book of Romans, not only should you have it memorized, already we're in the deficit, right? (laughs) Unless some of you got the whole book memorized. Anybody here? Okay. Not only should we have it memorized, word for word, by heart. But we should occupy ourselves with it daily. Romans is the book. Romans has it all. It's the purest of the gospel. It's more precious the more you read it. It tastes better. We've been talking for three weeks about the beauty of God's word. Delighting it sweeter than honey. Pure and greater than gold. And Romans is the book. Romans, I love Romans. In fact, I find it hard not to, in every sermon, slip in a Romans verse because it has it all. All right, turn to the book of Romans. Out of the greatest book, which we get to hold, out of the greatest book in the history of time, out of the greatest testament ever written, out of the greatest letter, the greatest book ever, ever penned, what would you say is the greatest chapter? Boy, this guy's really reducing, you know. Okay, well, so who said chapter 8? Chapter 3, chapter 8, chapter 12. Listen, Pastor Cody's an evangelical. That means I'm word-centered and gospel-centered. So guess what my favorite chapter is? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all the way to 16, okay? Yes, chapter 1. 
So great. Chapter 3. Some of the kids have verses memorized. Some of you have those verses memorized. Chapter 6. I love chapter 6. Chapter chapter 8. I can't wait some time to preach on chapter 8 here. It may take a year. It's that good. Chapter 12. It's so good. Out of all these great chapters, turn to Romans chapter 3. In fact, this is kind of a new Bible I have for me. I go through a Bible every three years. And the last Bible I had just like this, I try to get the kind of same edition, I'm kind of used to it, for preaching. Romans 3 fell out. I had to glue it back in, the pages fell out, and then it just got all, you know, and then one of my, some, someone was like, can I have your Bible? I'll give you my Bible. And I said, oh, sure, okay. This one's not falling out yet. Romans chapter 3. Okay, here we go. Out of the greatest book ever written, out of the greatest testament, out of the greatest book, out of the greatest chapter, what would you say possibly is, because they're all great, is the greatest paragraph? Now, some of you have it in paragraphs there. Some of you may not. But take a look there. What would you say is the greatest paragraph versus what through what? Take a peek. I mentioned Martin Luther before. He's the great reformer from the 1500s. In his personal Bible, probably locked away under glass somewhere over in Europe there so no one can touch it because it's now a relic or something like that. In his Bible, next to this paragraph, verses 21 through 26, this is what he penned in it. This is the chief point and the very central place of the epistle and the whole Bible. It's all right here. This is the main part of the whole Bible. Professor Leon Morris said, this is possibly the most single important paragraph ever written. Right here. This is so grand, so beautiful. I'm going to take two weeks and we're just going to look at this paragraph. It's the most beautiful thing we can dive into. As evangelicals, we're word-centered. We spent three weeks talking about the beauty of God's word. Now we're going to spend four weeks talking about the other aspect of being evangelical. Evangelicals are word-centered and they're gospel-centered. So before we dig in, let's pray. Father God, today we're going to dig into this important piece of writing that has transformed our lives, whether we know it or not. And the beauty of this paragraph has shaped of who we are because it's all about Christ and the cross. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us this morning because without your work in our hearts, we will get nowhere. So move upon us as you did the first time the people read this letter. And open our hearts so we may truly know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans is the book... In fact, if you turn to Romans chapter 1, I love Romans. Look at Romans 1. Romans 1, and I'm just going to quickly, my goal is just kind of work my way up to chapter 321 here, just to kind of give you an understanding of what Romans is about. It starts with this. Paul, a servant or a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul, instead of just saying, look at He had no idea he was going to be penning, inspired by God, the greatest letter ever. I mean, if that was me, I'd be going, Cody, the great warrior of God. Yes, I've been called. It's been bestowed upon my heart. Here I am. How great this letter will be. Look at this. Paul, a servant. The word here is slave of Christ Jesus. 
He was called to be an apostle. He was set apart for what? The gospel of God. And this book is all about the gospel message. Then he begins to talk about the gospel. The gospel he promised beforehand, which is all this Old Testament. He promised beforehand through the scriptures concerning what? His son, Jesus. And I love this. Who? To human nature. He was a descendant of David. But who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God because of his resurrection. It's all about the gospel. And then look at verse 15. Maybe this is why one of the reasons I got up at 4.30 this morning. I love verse 15. It's one of my favorite verses before I preach. Why? He says, I'm eager to preach to you. Oh, that's in my heart. I wish church services were 20 hours long. We'd have little breaks once in a while, okay? We just, there's so much here. And then look at verse 16 and 17. This is it. Some of you have this memorized, but you don't realize the power and beauty of these two verses. I remember as a little kid, I went to a Baptist church and we had to memorize like 10 verses a week. I'm so glad for that foundation. This is one of them we memorized. If you don't know this verse, I'm not just talking up here in your head, but if you don't know it, if you don't taste this verse, it's time to get this as a tattoo on your body. This is great. Verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. First the Jew, then for the Gentile. And then verse 17 is where he... 17 is almost... It builds up to 17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to first, from first to last, just as written, the righteous will live by faith. Man, that's the, the theme, the core theme of this whole epistle. But then there's a switch. Verse 18, it really changes. Look at those first four words. The wrath of God. Whoa. The wrath of God is being poured. Here it is. Romans chapter 1. Paul says, hey, this is all about the gospel. It, it's got the power to save us. It, this is it. And then 18 through 320, he begins to spell it out. God has made himself known. He's made himself known. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 talk about this. He made himself known through creation. He's made himself known through the law. He's made himself known through conscience. Everyone should understand. There's so many verses here that are great. Look at verse 215. Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts and their conscience knows... Paul is saying this. God can be known. He's made himself known. Chapter 1, through creation. I mean, step outside. People who believe in evolution, I, I love sitting with those people going, have you ever opened your eyes? Just in creation alone, you know there's a creator. And then through their conscience, and then, chapter 3, through the law. All of this has been out. Take a look at chapter 3. Therefore, chapter 3, verse 20, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we have been made conscious of sin. Because of the law, we know there's sin. So even the law cannot save you. It's kind of like this. Paul is doing this. Here is a box of goodies I have. These are things that I could say, God, look at me. I'm good for you. For instance, once in a while when I come to church, I wear a tie. Today I'm not wearing a tie. Some of you are doing that for me. I don't look as sharp as nails, but that's okay. Especially this kind of tie. This is the tie I really want to wear. I mean, especially this kind. I can dress up for church. I can do some nice things and look all nice on the outside. 
I have Christian videos in my house. Lord, come on, that's pretty nice, right? I have gone on mission trips before. Here's a shirt that I have every year. We'd come up with these shirts, and I've done mission trips before. I've helped orphans. Truly, the Lord will look at me and say, that is my son. How good Pastor Cody is. In fact, here's one of my, pa- one of my passports. I have two of them. This is my most recent one. I, I've gone overseas. Listen, I've been able to preach out of the Bible in China. Not many pastors have done that. What a privilege. I've been over Asia, the Philippines. I've been to Europe. I, I do things for the kingdom of God. Look, look at me, Lord. Look how good I am. This is a New Testament in Greek, the original language. In fact, this was my dad's. He didn't know Greek, but this is the, they call this the Texas Receptus, the 1611 that the King James was based upon. I have this on my shelf, and I can read this. If I read out loud, you guys would think I'm crazy, but I know the New Testament. I also know this language. Does anybody know what that says? It's Hebrew. I can read Hebrew. These are great things I can do for the Lord. I'm a pastor. Here's my business card. Some of you know I have been. I got about 20 of these made. These are kind of nice here. The lead pastor at Canyon Hills West Community Church. Truly, being a pastor, that should get me, okay, Lord, I'm good in front of you. Here I am, Lord. Look at all this good stuff. Here's some other things. This is one of my journals that I'm a part of. It's called the Journal of the Evangelical Theological Society. This, I'm a part of a society. Yeah, that sounds kind of weird, maybe. These are all some of the smartest, brilliant scholars of the world are part of this society. And then you get me. I'm more like the janitor of the group. I don't know, you know. I get their journal. I'm part of this theological society so I can speak and pontificate upon great and mighty things. Truly, I could say, Lord, look at me. Oh, I've got more. What's my favorite book in the Bible? Romans. In fact, this past fall, I translated Romans from the, from the, from the original language, and I started doing my own study, my own notes, and just digging in. I love Romans. Truly, someone who loves Romans like me, the Lord will look and go, that's my good son. This is my Romans. <laughs> What's a knife doing here, right? You're... This summer I was in the Amazon jungle. I was with some of my students. And I didn't have anything with me, but I bought this knife just before we went. And because we're going to be in the jungle. There's big snakes, big creepy things that I'm, you know, I'm, we don't have that stuff. But in the Amazon jungle I had this, and I, and I told one of my students, I said, listen, if a snake comes and takes you down, and I hate snakes, if a big anaconda wraps around you, we're laying in our hammocks, I will take a moment and go, <gasps> and I'll take out my knife and I will jump and save your life and I will die for you. And he, I meant it. As a Parker, I'll die for you on this trip if, if that's the case. And if it's a snake, I'll take a second to go, <laughs> and then I'll do it. <laughs> but this is a symbol to say, I would be willing to die, not just for my family, but for one of my friends. What else have I got in here? I got, oh, oops. I got this. This is my, uh, my black bag of, uh, well, sin. But we, we all have that. Mine's not as big as yours, of course, because I'm a pastor. <laughs> right? It's kind of small, but it's, it's, it's part of who we are, I guess. I even have family connections. This is the ESV Study Bible. And my father-in-law wrote the study notes in the book of James. He's one of the top New Testament leading scholars of the world today. So not only do I have connections personally, but I got family connections. People who are very high in the Christian world. If all of this is my way to say, God, here I am. This is what Paul says in chapter 1 through 320. If this is all the things you lay before the Lord to say, God, here I am. This is what Paul says. 
Forget it. Can't do it. Paul says this in Philippians. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is in faith through Christ Jesus. A righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. That's Romans chapter 1, 18 through 20. We cannot do it. And some of you have been in the church your whole life. Or some of you are just coming like, okay, this is new. I'm a visitor here. What's this all about? Listen, we can't do it. And you think that's bad news? Well, there's a remedy. And that's what Romans chapter 3, 21 through 26 is all about. We can't do it. This table is insufficient to save me and you. Our righteousness, we cannot do it. We need a way to be right with God. And just remember this. Please remember this. There's one thing you cannot do. Save yourself. Don't forget that. There's one thing you cannot do, and that's save yourself. And this passage answers the question, how can I be saved? What must be done? Especially saved from what? couple things. Save from your own struggle to attain God's favor. And some of you are so good at piling up your tables. You have tables and tables saying, God, look here. I'm finally at church. I dressed up nice. Look. Dump it. I can't do it. Ultimately, save from that black bag of sin that we all have. And because of that, there's the wrath of God. How do I get right with God? This passage has it all. It's great. It's loaded with many words, and there's so many things about this passage. So let's take a look at Romans chapter 3. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to go back to 21. I'm just going to work my way through just three verses. And some of you ask what what translation. I'm reading out of the NIV here, and you have maybe some of you have different ones, but just read along with me. But now. In fact, let me just back up a verse, just so you get why this is all here, okay? Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in the Lord's sight by observing the law. Dump the table I could throw in there. Rather, it is through the law we became conscious of sin. But now. A righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Greatest paragraph ever penned in the history of time. Let's work through this. Do you ever realize sometimes that the small things sometimes can be the greatest things? Something so small can have so much great weight. Those first two words, but now. In the midst of all of this junk piled high in our tables, in the midst of things we cannot do, we're doomed. In utter despair is this chapter um, 1, 18, all the way through 20. You read it, you're just like, oh, it's dark, it's hard. 
but now. What great epic words there. But now. After the terrible predicament from 118 to 320, we now have something important. And it's this. God intervenes. I can't do it. Some of you have tables that you just want to pile up. You can't, you're tired of piling it up. But now, God intervenes. I love that. It's not about me. He's the hero. The only hero. He's the one who rescues us. But now, God intervenes and he provides what we cannot attain. But now, a righteousness from God. Now here's this phrase, a righteousness from God. Listen, if you don't know this phrase, you will miss out on the beauty of salvation. In fact, this term righteousness, just in this paragraph, shows up seven times. In some of your translations, it may show up as righteousness, it may show up as justified or just, but it's the same Greek word. It shows up seven times. This is all about the righteousness of God. And if you want to know how to be saved about salvation, you need to know about the righteousness of God. In many ways, it's the central theme of this great book. There are three aspects about the righteousness of God. Now think about this, and hopefully we'll have this up here. Number one, it speaks about who God is. It's who God is. He is just. He is pure. He is holy. He is fair. He's righteous. But then you think, we hear those words, you think, well, if he's just and fair, then why, why do we have, why is there a hell? Why is there, why is there condemnation? Because, because he's just and loving, he must be fair. Because he's holy, there must be the wrath of God. So one speaks about who he is. When you read the righteousness, just think of God and his, it's his character, it's his quality. His righteousness is the basis of salvation. It's the quality of God himself. So righteousness speaks of who God is. Secondly, it speaks of what he does. Oh. In this passage, he comes to rescue us. He rescues us. For 13 years, I was a medic. I'll never forget, I was coming back from a school presentation talking about being a medical guy, ambulance guy. I was all dressed up in all my stuff, having a medical bag with me. Went to a little elementary school when I was in seminary. I was, it was in the Chicagoland area. And they had a busy highway I was going on. And all the cars stopped. I'm like, oh, what? And up ahead was this Cadillac, big Cadillac, that was probably about this big because he got hit by a semi. Just creamed. And I got my car, and I just went ahead of everyone. I jumped across the median, and here was this lady pinned in there. Through my quick assessment, she had a broken pelvis, broken leg, some ribs. She was in serious trouble. I could have just been like, hey, don't worry. Just wait it out. What? She needed to be rescued. I was able to crawl in there and help her a little bit. Then the other guys came with extrication tools and they were ripping apart the thing. She needed to be rescued. She would have died. I can guarantee, especially with her pelvis being broken. Just all the stuff that was happening. I, her blood pressure was dropping. She needed to be rescued. When we read this term, righteousness of God, it speaks of what he does. He rescues us. It's his righteousness that does it. He does the right thing and rescues his people. His righteousness is his saving activity in humanity and for you personally. I love how in Galatians, Paul says this. Talking about the salvation and the work of God, he says he came to save us and he kept saying, he uses the word me. He saves me, me. He saves us personally. This isn't, oh yeah, God just came to save humanity. But there it is. You. When you read the righteousness of God, it speaks of what he does. He rescues us personally. And the last thing, it speaks of how he does it. He gives the believer the right status with himself. This is the free gift to the believer. It is righteousness from God. Philippians chapter 3 that I quoted before. A righteousness from God. 
It's how he does it. The righteousness of God is a quality, it's the activity, and it's the gift from God. I wrote this down as kind of like a a summary of what this is. The righteousness of God is this. God himself, in his saving activity, to come and rescue us from death, all who believe and trust in Christ, as he gives them this undeserved gift of grace, being in right status before his eyes. And we will see that it's by grace alone, through faith. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from the law. Take a look at Romans 3. Apart from the law. Look at all of this points to Christ because all of this we fail at. We can't attain it. The law has failed to rescue us. In fact, in Romans 8, it says the law leads to sin and death. Sin and death took over and it's just done. We can't, it's apart from the law. We can't do it. Some of you may say, well, then why did God give us the law? It was only to produce salvation, but God's wrath. Well, what's the point then? Well, that's the wrong way of looking at the situation. For the law of God is not a way of baiting us to say, ha ha, and then pour wrath upon us. The law was given as a means to maintain relationship with himself, but it doesn't provide the way. But now there's a way. It's in Christ. He is the way. We can't do it. And if you think, well, then we forget the law, pitch it. What did we talk about the last three weeks? The beauty of the law, the beauty of this word. Not as a means to build up your table and say, look, I'll memorize Romans, Lord. Now I can be in good favor with you. Dump your table. That can't do it. That just works. The law, apart from the law, we can't do it. The law has a positive authority in the Christian life. It teaches how to deal with God and his aspects of holiness, but it cannot save us. Let's read this verse. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. That's why I love the Old Testament. It all points to Christ. It all points to Christ. It's all about the cross and his saving way. The message of God's great salvation has always been true and now becomes clear in Christ. All scripture points to the cross. I love in John chapter 5, verse 39, they're talking about the law, some of the, some of the religious people who know the, you know the rabbis of the time they're talking about, and he's like, you study those scriptures. This is what Jesus says. You study the scriptures, but you don't realize they talk about me. The Old Testament talks about Christ. It all points points to it. All all the Old Testament testifies about Christ. In fact, listen to this. I went through when I was doing this study in Romans. 78 times the Old Testament's quoted in Romans. And almost all of them are about Christ. Wow. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. Verse 22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. We know this in the New Testament that we are saved by faith. But how are they saved in the Old Testament? By faith. It wasn't by works. It wasn't by adhering to all those laws. Go back. Go back. If, you, if you're like, what? They're saved by faith. Go back to Romans chapter 1. Take a look at verse 17. For in the gospel, righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That's Old Testament. It's always been about faith. It's always been about trusting the Lord. Faith is the only means, the only way to get to God and we can receive his great salvation. But there's a common trend out there today. Oh, just believe. Just believe in something and that's good enough. Or just have general belief in God and that that will do it. No. It's only through Christ. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe. So what is faith? 
here is really I want to just lay it on you guys. This might be tough for some of you. Because some of you might go, oh, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I go to church. And this is what a lot of people do. They kind of have their little chart. Yep, check, believe in Jesus. Okay, yep, yep, go to work. Check, okay, yep, okay. Well, I believe. Is that faith? What does it mean to have faith? There's three aspects. Number one, it's what you believe about. Okay? It's what you believe about. You must believe about Jesus. You must believe that he is the Son of God, that he is the only way. Not many roads, he is the only way. You must believe that your table is junk, and this is it. It's what you believe about Christ. We must understand the content of the gospel. And what is the gospel message? It's this. Here's my paragraph on the gospel message. In fact, some Jehovah Witnesses came to my door two weeks ago, and I said, I'm going to give you my paragraph of what I believe the gospel message is. Stop me when you don't believe me. Oh, they stopped me. Here it is. What you believe about Jesus. There's one God. He created us in his image. He made us good. But we sinned. We failed against God's holy standard. And he would be just to condemn us forever. But in his great love, the eternal Son of God took on flesh, fully God, fully man, lived the life of obedience all the way to the cross and died for those who would believe and trust in him. And they would be the sons, the children of God and live in his inheritance. You have to believe about that. But is that all you have to do? Let me give you an example. For many years, I was a lifeguard. Please don't try to picture what I look like as a lifeguard. That may scare some of you. This is a rescue tube. It's one that we got rid of because the rope came off. But uh, Let's say you're out drowning. You're out drowning in the lake. We just a couple days ago went up to Lake Cushman up in the mountains there. Beautiful lake. Let's say you go out there and you forget how cold it is. Whoa. And you start to drown. And you see me, and I have this thing. And let's say all the stuff's attached to it, and there's a tag. And I throw it to you, and I go, here, be saved. And I throw it to you, and this lands right next to you. And you're going under, and you read the tag. It says, this will, this will hold up 600 pounds. You kind of look, you go, well, I'm not 600 pounds. And if you believe this will save you, are you saved? No. Belief in something doesn't make it true. And having belief alone, just cognitively, just in your head, oh, I believe it. Oh, I'm saved. Bubble, bubble, bubble. You'll go down. Listen, if all you do is say, oh, I believe in Jesus, and that's it, like that, you will drown. If you don't believe me, turn to James 2.19. James says this, 2.19, oh, you believe in one God? Oh, you do good. But the demons believe, and they shudder. Are they going to heaven? It doesn't say that part, but you know. Belief in Jesus alone does not save you. So faith begins with what you believe about, okay? The second thing is this. It's what you believe about, and you have to trust in. If I throw this out to you, you have to grab on and trust in it, right? You have to take volition. You have to grab on to this thing and, and then you'll float, right? Does that make sense? Faith is not just believing about, but it's also trusting in. Holding on, saying, yep, it's you. I'm not going to keep trying to swim because I'm drowning. I hold only on to this. Does that make sense? It's what you believe about and you have to trust in. You have to trust in it. You have to let go. Some of you need to dump your table because it stinks. You have to trust in. And the last thing, you have to commit to. You have to commit to him. Over and over, Jesus had to deal with this in the New Testament. Oh, I'll follow you, God. Oh, I'll follow you, Jesus. But first let me uh, do this stuff. Oh, I'll believe in you. Over and over in the book of Mark, Jesus called out the people who had just shallow belief. Oh, I believe in you, but they never trusted. They didn't commit to. 
and they washed away. Faith is what you believe about. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the message, it says in Romans chapter 10. And the word about Christ. You have to trust in. Faith requires personal element of trust and conviction. And lastly, you have to commit to. You must have allegiance to your faith. And many people treat, this is the common thing today. Oh yeah, I believe in God. Oh, I go to church. I'm a Christian. And I get a lot of college students say this. Oh, God is kind of like, I treat him like my boyfriend. We have this relationship. What? People dump their boyfriends all the time. You can't. When you choose God, it's not like, oh, I choose God today. Well, maybe not. Now I'm at work. Well, okay, kind of. Oh, I'm at church, so I'll look like it. No. Total commitment. Total surrender. That's what it is. It's not just, oh, I'm going to raise my hand, say a little prayer, and that's it. No. That's so shallow. That's called easy beliefism. I can motivate anyone to say, hey, who wants to go to hell? Not me. Okay, trust Jesus. Okay, now you're a Christian going to hell. That, what? That's just this. You need to trust in and commit to. Let's read this verse one more time. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. What is sin? It's just this generic global category for all kinds of evil doing what God forbids. And the most calmest, simplest way is called missing the mark. We miss the mark. Miss the mark? I'm a bow hunter. So I know what it means to miss the mark. There's two primary ways I miss the mark. When I'm shooting at a target, I could pull back, and if the target is seven miles away, am I going to miss that target? Kids, will I miss that target if it's on the other side of the mountains? Yes, why? Because I don't have enough power to do it. We do not have enough power in ourselves to get rid of sin. All this stuff we pile on the table, forget it, we can't do it. And the second way we can't do it is we miss the mark because we don't know what we're shooting at. I could blindfold you and say, hit this apple, and you'd be like, where, what, huh? We miss the mark because we don't have the power. Another way of looking at it, we, we, we don't know what to shoot at. For all have sinned and fall short of what? What does it say? Glory of God. We can't do it. Imagine this. Imagine a mountain, okay? And let's say that's the mountain of righteousness, the mountain of being holy. Who would be up on the top? Pastor Cody might be up there because look at that cool table. <laughs> Pastor John would be a little bit above Cody because he's been around a lot longer and, you know, he's been a past longer. Okay, Pastor John. Who would be kind of at the bottom? The bad people. Who'd be way down in the cave? Maybe Hitler down there. Okay, you know, way you know, bad people down there. I won't pick on any sports team fans, but we might be down there, you know. <laughs> Who would be at the top? Listen. Which one of those people on the mountain can touch a star? None of them, right? We all fall short. We cannot do it. None of us can touch the star. None of us can reach and attain to the glory of God, his standard, because we've sinned. We can't. We fail. Because of sin, we cannot do it. We miss the mark. And it's also like this. I'm going to finish up here. It's not about, oh, comparing our sins. Well, at least I'm not that bad of a sinner. When I held up my bag of black, well, this is not as big as yours. It's not comparing our sin with fellow humans. In God's standard, we all fail. We all need to be saved. And his plan is the only way. So let me end with this. Where are you in your faith are you just about believing about and that's it because if that's you listen you will drown if you're all about building up your table and having your goodies and saying look I've accomplished I'm, I'm doing fine I said a prayer once and, oh, and that's all you will die you will fail and you will drown. If you just believe about, you missed out. You must trust in 
and commit to. Because it's Christ alone. Not your works, not your table of goodies. It's only through him. So where are you at? Honestly, this sermon should make your heart beat a little faster. Because many of you are just that believe about. And here's the good news. But now, a righteousness from God has been made known. Apart from the law, to which the law and prophets testify. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Because all have sinned. There is no difference. We fall short of his glory. We need Jesus. Let me pray. In fact, as I pray, I just want you to just bow your heads. And I want you to seriously think. This is no joke. Some of you are at just believe about, honestly. I know because I grew up in the church. I know what it's like just to go, oh, I believe in Jesus, and that's it. And you haven't trusted completely in him. And you haven't said, God, my life is just a mess, or my life is good, but I need to just give up. I need to grab onto you. I need hope. I need to be saved. And if that's any of you, all I want you to do, I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to point you out. I just want you to put your hand up so I can see it and put it on so Pastor Cody can pray for you. I'm not going to approach you and embarrass you. I just want you to put your hand up just a little bit so I can see it and put it down so I can pray for you. Okay, I see that hand. Okay. If you're just that believe about and you just, you want to say, I, I want to trust where I want to commit to, just put it up and say, pray for me, Pastor. Okay. Okay. Anyone else? A few of you rose your hand. Okay. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that we don't have to do it. Some of us are tired in this room from trying to do it. We've tried to fight our sin, try to fight and try to look performance-wise on the outside. Or some of us have been just happy believing about. And it hasn't been serious. And I pray for those who rose their hand that they would say, God, I surrender and I commit to you. I don't know what that looks like, but I trust in you. And Lord, for some of us who are living only at Believe About, and we've trusted you once in a while, no wonder we're so tired. Lord, help us to trust in your saving grace in Jesus. Lord, we thank you that your righteousness is not all about your character, but it's all about what you do, and you've rescued us. And that is the good news we need. May we turn to you more daily and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.